0: So, over the past 11 weeks, it has been 11 weeks, um, we've shared and we've discussed our vision, we've shared and discussed our values, we've shared and discussed some of the key elements that we see as being kind of integral to who we are as a faith community. And we've begun this process and this conversation of what we've called counter-narrative, narratives that are different from or counter to the norm um, or the dominant narrative, So the Beatitudes that we've just shared over the last four weeks are essentially, in many ways, um, Jesus' counter-narrative to societal concepts of happiness, to what it might mean to be meek, to what it might mean to be peacemakers, to what it might mean to be poor in spirit. And much of what Jesus taught and much of what he lived was essentially a counter-narrative. And so today I wanna talk about and discuss amongst ourselves at the end of this conversation um, a counter-narrative in relation to leadership particularly leadership in the church (coughs) so I i don't know what your history is like but in the year 1422 the king of france charles vi died and he was succeeded by his son charles vii and a royal statement was made And it was a phrase that has now been coined kind of in our lexicon and and it has popular riffs in in today's culture, but there was this announcement that was made throughout France and it translated as, the king is dead, long live the king. Which is a seemingly contradictory phrase (laughs) that simultaneously both announced the death of the monarch, the death of King Charles VI, but also then Saluted the new monarch, heralded in the new one. And so, what that phrase stands for, the king is dead, long live the king, is that it speaks to a continuity of leadership. It, it means it's a means of assuring people that yes, the leadership has passed away, but it's okay, there's a new leadership in place, there's no need to panic, there's no need for anarchy in the streets. Leadership has a level of continuity to it. And so You know, it basically says the old leader is dead, the new leader is here, let's hope the new leader is a bit better than the last one. And in that context, that was very true, uh, because modern science would have essentially said that King Charles VI was clinically insane, He, he was seriously out there, he used to think that he was made of glass, and so consequently people couldn't touch him, or he was very scared of... Anyway, that's kind of by and the by, but essentially the phrase, the king is dead, long live the king, is central to this conversation. Leaders come and leaders go. Kings come and kings go. Presidents, prime ministers, CEOs, they come and they go. And traditional church leadership models and cycles can kind of look similar. You know, Pope succeeds Pope, priest succeeds priest, senior pastor succeeds senior pastor. And the leadership of government and uh, civic society in Jesus' time was essentially no different. It was a time of emperors and it was a time of Caesars and it was a time of kings and a time of governors. And it would seem to me that in many ways, church leadership and structures kind of mirror these civic institutions. Having said that, to be fair to the church, it was the church that formed a lot of institutions that we have today. The ch- church formed uh, significant universities and places of learning and libraries and places like that. But if we look at church leadership structures, not a lot has changed. Our, our church leadership models are kind of akin to monarchies and they're akin to corporations. And I think that often people who, who argue in favour of large institutions or argue in favour Of uh, significant organizational structures is that they're arguing for a need for accountability and they're arguing for a need for order um, to ensure that people do the right thing to to know where they stand so that bad things don't happen to ensure the common good and I'm not arguing against those structures but to kind of counter that narrative these systems these institutions these organizations in and of themselves don't actually prevent corruption, and they don't <laughs> prevent abuse, as we've seen uh, with a royal commission that's that's dragged out over a number of years now. They don't prevent scandal. Often it's the opposite. Often it's a case that these systems perpetrate those outcomes, and these structures exclude people, and they exclude people from power, and they exclude people from accessing justice. And my reading of Jesus is that he wasn't especially big on formula. From what we read, from what we understand, Jesus almost never healed people, even though they had the same illness, the same condition, the same set of, uh, you know, whether it's blindness or whatever, never healed people the same way. He engaged people differently. He went on different paths. He um, uh, approached different problems with different solutions. He engaged people essentially where they were at, and he was actually i think far more poetic than he was directive he was far less concerned with the answers that people were looking for and he was more interested in the heart behind the question jesus said you know the sabbath was made for humankind not humankind for the sabbath and in saying that he was speaking to the danger of what happens when we serve systems when we serve formula when we become slaves to the things that are actually Uh, set up to grow us to form us to liberate us and the people who approach jesus the pharisees his disciples i think were often looking for answers they were often looking for certainty but jesus often does this frustrating thing where he never gives people the response or the answer that they're looking for and yet like me, people want answers. They want certainty. We're, we're actually often less concerned with the questions and the heart behind things. And, and we actually, if we're honest, I think, I think we want kings. I think we want senior leaders. Whether we want the ones that we've got or whether we deserve the ones that we've got is a totally separate conversation. But I think, I, think we want, I think we want these people. We want someone to tell us what to do. We want someone to tell us how to live our lives. We, we form <laughs> tribes around kings and, and we form tribes around benevolent leaders. We want someone to celebrate. We want someone to herald. We want someone to blame. We want someone to kind of outsource our responsibility and our frustrations upon. And so we pin our hopes on someone who, might save us from ourselves essentially i think who will keep the peace or who will um lead us into war we cast our responsibility onto them and in doing that we kind of try and absolve ourselves of the responsibility of doing stuff because well you know it's the it's the leader's role to kind of sort that stuff out but i think that jesus countered that narrative he we heard it in the Bible verse, he, he washed his disciples' feet. He allowed the leaders of the time, he allowed the, the loudest, the angriest, the most violent voices to crucify him. He, he wept at the pain of death and loss. He desired the best for the least. He embraced the outcasts. He challenged the attitudes of the leaders of his time, both the religious leaders and the secular leaders, and he essentially asked people who followed him and sought after him to to really think differently, to think differently about the questions they were even asking, let alone the answers. And I reckon this would have been frustrating. I, I imagine myself being there and We don't read this narrative, but I can kind of imagine the disciples and the followers and the leaders of the time just kind of mumbling to themselves. Always, always Jesus, always with the question just kind of flipped on its head and thrown back at us. Always with the parables. You know, what is it with all these parables? Always with the taking of the old ideas and reframing them and messing with us. And for people like me, who like certainty, it would have been frustrating. Certainty is safe. I like knowing the answers. I, I like structure. I don't know about you, but I, I like to take stuff, and I like to make sense of it, and I like to try and systemize it, and I like to package it, and I like to turn it into a model and a formula, and and some of that is 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 for good reason, because we're creative, because we're inquisitive, because we want to know how things work, how they fit together. We want to to grow. We want to be better. But often I think it's really just about me wanting a sense of control. You know, have you ever heard the phrase control freak? I reckon we're all susceptible to being like that because we like certainty. And often what happens is I take that lens of certainty and then I impose it on my reading of scripture. And so I read passages about the first church developing various solutions to various challenges and various needs and various ministries. And then what happens is that we want to turn it into a formula. We want to turn it into this kind of 10 point plan for this is how you do church. This is how you do life. Here's the steps. We kind of jump straight to answers. We jump straight to solutions. But I'm finding that increasingly, Uh, To my own discomfort. I'm far more interested in the questions I'm far more interested in the heart behind the questions rather than the conclusions that I think that we need to draw from them And from what I can determine At no point at no point did Jesus or the first church actually seek to model themselves on the leadership structures of the time the heart for found the heart for this community is not replication of traditional models. We're we're not gathered here in a multi-purpose room because we wanna do church simply the way that everyone else does church. We form this community out of a desire to kind of gather and encourage people who are frustrated by traditional models, who are often excluded from traditional church models and who I think and hope are, are willing to explore something different to maybe reconsider the professionalization of ministry, to reconsider the institutionalization of faith, to, to question traditional leadership mindsets and structures, to question the validity even of the senior leader or the senior pastor somehow being this holder of all godly wisdom and direction and control and advice and even the efficacy of any of that. And so I stand here saying that knowing that my title currently is the lead pastor of F.O.U.N.D. Which is partly informed by my role in in sort of founding and co-founding and collectively founding this community and partly, I guess, uh, a necessity of societal and legal structures that really require someone to take that kind of role and responsibility. And yes, a community still needs guidance and a community still needs frameworks and mentoring and facilitation, but the lead pastor doesn't have to be kind of the fixed point for that. And the reality is, is that I have a full-time job. That is not being the least lead pastor I've found. I have a a great job that uh, gives me great opportunity to to meet people and talk to people in Detroit and uh, uh, travel the country and, and do really interesting uh, and engaging things. And and the truth be told is I have no intention of ever changing that dynamic. Uh, I have no intention of eventually somehow transitioning into a full-time paid role uh, as the lead pastor of this community, which raises a lot of questions that we haven't really talked about, but that I would like to talk about this evening around what might an alternative to traditional models of church leadership look like? What's what's the alternative to a traditionally hierarchical, often patriarchal structure that isn't anarchy and that isn't communism? How is it that we might go about challenging traditional leadership models and how is it that we might develop um, more collective approaches? Appropriate to our community appropriate to this time in this decade in in this place in Brisbane, Australia And so Mina read in Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul articulates what we call essentially the fivefold ministries And what happens is we kind of lift that and we place our certainty on that And we turn that into something that becomes this sense of this is how we professionalize the ministry This is the hierarchy for how it is that we need to do church but the reality is, is I don't think it's any of that. I don't think it's there to give us an ultimate set of ministry roles that we have to aspire to. I need to aspire to be apostle or a teacher or a pastor or an evangelist. In fact, when we read the heart of what Paul is saying here, I actually think it's the opposite. I think that what he's essentially saying is that these roles exist to equip people to live out Jesus' command, which is to love each other. That's why these roles exist. They, They exist to help the church to be the church, to increasingly become more like Jesus. And that's not necessarily an easy task, but it's a very clear directive. And so this actually doesn't speak to hierarchy. It doesn't place the pastor at the top. It actually places the pastor at the bottom, who's there to ensure that the church can fulfill its potential and its mission and its goal. It poses the question, how do we more effectively equip and facilitate the faith community to become more like Jesus? And so I've essentially come up with this statement, the senior pastor is dead, long live the church. Which all sounds very exciting and very revolutionary. Not for you. <laughs> Maybe not for me. It's not a literal statement, but it's a challenging statement. And I think it's challenging to traditional church models. The difficulty and the tension in a statement like that is that, and this is why we need to have a conversation. I don't really know any other models than traditional models of church. I don't know any other models than traditional models of leadership. And so whilst I say that I don't want to perpetuate those things, that's what I know. And and if I'm honest, that's actually what I feel really comfortable with. It's really uncomfortable to go, you know what? Everything that I've kind of understood as the construct for this is how church should run. I want to flip that on its head. It would be much easier for me to say, let's hold on to that. Um, And so this feels really out of control because it is. It is. It's really out of control in terms of my understanding of how things should work. And so what happens is when I tell people outside of this community, I tell other pastors who run other churches, hey, this is what we were thinking of doing. We don't want, we want a really kind of collective approach to leadership. We want a collective approach to church. We're actually thinking of not having any rosters. We don't have any rosters currently. I'm not a big fan of rosters, so we're not going to. And they kind of just either, I kind of get two responses. Either they look at me like, is this guy serious are you a little bit unhinged Um, or they just laugh and then they ask if I'm serious and then they laugh some more and and part of me when people give me that response and this is totally pride to be honest part of and this is that small part of me just wants to go well I'm that makes me more resolved to do it (laughs) more resolved to do it because I want to be able to go back to them in 12 months time and go, hey, you know that thing we were talking about, how, um, you know, we're flattening the leadership structure and we're not doing rosters, it's actually working really well, so um, in your face. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I want to do, that's that's pride, that's pride, but mostly, that's not the reason that I want to do it, mostly, mostly, it's because... I don't know that the traditional models of church leadership are working for the body. I think we've crea- increasingly created this paradigm that has become us and them. We've separated the platform and made it something that's a lot bigger than it needs to be. And my heart is to see the church be the church, is to see uh, that each individual member, but also the body, to realize its potential to not be capped, to not be bound by traditional understandings of outdated and old ways of thinking that potentially limit who we are and who we can be. And I want us to live our vision and values. I don't want it to be something that I've seen in church life where we have this amazing vision and value statement that gets trucked out once a year at Vision Month or populates this amazing glossy brochure but no one really lives it and i want us to live them i want us to explore them i want us to grapple with them i want us to equip each other to be more like jesus and so in a collective approach what happens is that the paradigm of supply and demand is no longer evident in a collective approach the dynamic of entertainment and consumerism is increasingly removed and let's be honest consumerism's great <laughs> like it's wonderful if you're the consumer it's kind of a really nice easy relationship but a collective approach requires something more of all of us more of us than consumption it requires us to take an active role across the community. It requires us to care for each other, to not outsource it, to not expect, well, insert leader's name here, that's their job, so they'll take care of it. And so we have a vision, we have values, we have key elements and language that frame who we are as a community. And I think we have an exciting opportunity. I think we have an opportunity to, Essentially do what it is that Paul is talking to, to equip each other for works of service so that this body, this community, as part of a much bigger body and a much bigger community, can be built up and reach unity in the faith and grow in the fullness of Christ. The senior pastor is dead. Long live the church. Why don't you pray with me and then we're going to get into the questions jesus i just thank you for challenging and uncomfortable conversations lord i know that this was probably much more challenging for me to deliver than it was necessarily to hear but god i just pray for uh an opportunity over the next period of time as and this is not the end of it but i just pray for an opportunity in, in the next period of time to To really explore what it might mean to have a collective community approach to church leadership models. That people would be open, that people would feel safe and uh, just be a great time of really just exploring and answering these questions in your powerful and wonderful name. Amen.